Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today I want us to turn to a passage in Matthew chapter 15. We will get back to 1 Peter, but today is Mother's Day. I don't always uh, preach on Mother's Day, uh, a Mother's Day sermon, but today we're headed in that direction. Matthew 15, and we'll begin our reading in verse 21. We only have uh, about eight verses or so. So I may make a few comments. Let's, let's read this, what I call perceptively, okay? Let's just think about what we're reading. I'll make a notation a few times along the way. Jesus went away from there. Where is there? He's been in Galilee and he's leaving. He's really going away as far as all the rest of the universe knows uh, to get some rest. He is going to withdraw into the district of Tyre and Sidon. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus is going to venture outside of Jewish (laughs) territory. He had taken a beating. People were constantly barraged. uh, uh, It was a barrage of questions, and, and most of them were argumentative, and he just finished a whole tirade with the Pharisees about his disciples not washing their hands. So he decides he's going to go off Uh, to a place that he knows that no Jew is ever going to follow him. His disciples don't even want to go. And when you notice this lady here starts calling a lot of attention to them, they're not going to like it very much. We don't even want to be here, Lord. You need to do something with her and get her out of here. Uh, You hear that hum? That's just because we said the word Gentile. It's incredible. It's new computer technology. Just kidding. My son will kill me today. It says in verse 22, And a Canaanite woman from that region came out. Mark calls her a Syrophoenician. Matthew calls her a Canaanite. It's the only time that word ever occurs in the gospel. It is like with Matthew, and you know he was always harder on the Pharisees than anybody else. But he also uses a word here that's harder on this woman than any other word he could have used because the Canaanites were pagans from the Old Testament era. And just that word itself was disparaging enough. And it's never used to my knowledge, but only here in the Gospels. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. What does she know about that? There's a lot of people in this world that know more about God than we might imagine. Son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting, at us, and, and I'll just say for their benefit, 
The words they use here in the original text would indicate not just ignore her, do whatever she wants. If we had to translate it just absolutely precisely, they would be saying do whatever she wants and then get her out of here. I don't know which is worse. Just run her off or just give her whatever she wants and get her out of here. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from their master's table and then Jesus said to her old woman your faith is great you know he only said that to two people they both were Gentiles one was a centurion a Roman soldier over a hundred men the other time was to this woman right here not Peter, not James, not John he could have told them your mischief is great your mouth is really great Peter he tells this woman, your faith is great. It shall be done as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. If you're going to fabricate scripture or embellish some holy book or just uh, artificially create some gospel, which is how some see either all of Scripture or at least part of it, you would not include this story. It would not be in there. If the Gospels had been the work of human beings, this story would have never made it in there. It's, it's, it's too complicated. There's some twists and turns here. There's some things here that don't make sense. That this, this story is not neatly packaged, but neither is life. And Jesus is about to teach His disciples something incredible here. He has withdrawn from the area of the city of Capernaum out of the area of Galilee. And, and Jesus has done this before. Jews wouldn't have gone where He went. That happened a lot. You know, one of the things that I wish we could help people to uh, understand is Jesus broke a lot of the law. He broke a lot of the ceremonial parts of the law. The moral laws was a mishpatim. Uh, that's the Hebrew word for the moral law. Uh, the chukim. That's that H that you have to clear your throat when you say it. The chukim was the ceremonial law. And so sometimes when you are in conversations with people and you're trying to teach them, well, you know, the Bible says this and this about that issue. And they go, well, you're in the book of Leviticus. I hope you're not boiling a goat in its mother's milk either. And they bring up all of that. They have uh, willfully volunteered to uh, expound on their own ignorance. Because there was ceremonial law. But those ceremonial laws of, of, of cleansing and and remaining pure and, and, and finding forgiveness and, and, and all of these sacrificial uh, uh, little details that had to be made. They were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfilled those for us. As a matter of fact, 
He just finished a conversation with some of the Pharisees who came to him. You can read it, the chapter right before this one. The Pharisees, or the passage right before this one, the Pharisees asked the disciples, why, or asked Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat bread? You know, that, that's part of the law. And of course, Jesus lays into them about it's not with that which goes, uh, comes out of, or goes into a man that defiles him, but it's that which comes out. And I like this part. Boy, I can just hear them nowadays. It would be so much the same way. The disciples came to him and said, Lord, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended by what you said? I wonder if he kind of gave them that look. Let me see. Hang on a minute. I'm going to find out if I care. He went on. He gave his disciples some truth. He let them know, look, I'm here to preach truth. I'm not here uh, to, to kiss up to people. I didn't come to be popular. I know they don't like it, but they need to hear the truth. And that's what I came to preach. So then he does something else the Pharisees would have never done. He leaves Galilee and goes into the area of the Gentiles. He knows he's not likely to be followed there by these Pharisees. You could at least get away from them uh, by going there. When he gets there, he meets this woman who is unnamed. All we know about her are the bad things. Mark says she was Syro or Syrian descent and she lived in Phoenicia. So she was Syro-Phoenician. Uh, she was a Canaanite, Tyre and Sidus or in Phoenicia. He goes into that area and he meets this woman who is in desperate straits and cries out, please help me. But she's not the one that's sick, her child is. And this is where we get to the mother part of it. Because you know, mothers, when it's your child that's sick, it might as well be you. You had rather that it was you. So she's quite clear in crying out, God, help me. I am in need because my child is sick. What my child feels, I feel. When I see that terrified look on her little face and she doesn't know what's going on and these demons are raging within her. It's like, it's like something took over her. I gave birth to that little girl. I don't even recognize her sometimes, God. It's like the demons have just overtaken her and I'm begging you to heal her. And, and he even ignored her at first. And of course, he's got a plan in mind the whole time. But then finally, she falls down in front of him. Before he even addresses her problem, before he even does any healing, before he gives her what she's begging for, she falls down and she begins to worship him. What a great lesson for those twelve and a great lesson for all of us. That's what worshiping God is all about. You know, being a mother has never been easy. I think about Eve. We don't know a lot about her, but... I can't help but think her heart was broken when Cain turned out the way he did. Because she had to know that, yeah, I know where he learned that. I know where he learned it. He didn't learn it watching TV or playing uh, uh, video games that are violent or any of that. I know exactly where he learned that, that, that sometimes you can justify doing things that God has told you not to do. And even after God went to Cain, we talked about it in our men's study recently, after God went to Cain and told him, He said, you know if you do the right things, things are going to go well. But it's your choice. If you do the wrong thing, life's not going to 
turn out well. I say this a lot, but I can just tell you now, there is a way that life will work and there is a way that life will not work. And you can just shape it however you want to, cut it however you like. You can just put whatever kind of flavor on that you want, but I can tell you there is a way that life works and there are a lot of other ways that life doesn't work. God says my way will work and He says all of the other ways do not work. Yeah, some of you could stand and shout, hallelujah, amen. Because you tried some of the others, right? Did, could you get them to work? Did you find peace there? Did you find joy there? Did you figure out, oh, I don't even need Jesus. I can just have fun and, and that'll, that'll do it. That'll satisfy that longing in my heart. It just doesn't work. Eve knew that. I think about Hagar. She was Abraham's handmaiden. I, I, I think about all the things that that she went through and how that uh, uh, how she felt the sting of racism how she felt uh, the, the, the sting of religious arrogance so to speak and she was sent away with her child Ishmael you know, keep it she was the mother of Moses I think about that woman when she put that child in that basket and put him in that river and walked away. How in the world do you do that? you got to have a lot of faith in God to do that. You put your baby in a basket in a river. And you walk away and leave that child there. And man, that is putting that child in the hands of God. But she knew if I don't do something, there is an enemy out there. His name is Pharaoh and he's already declared war on every Hebrew child. And he will kill my son. My son will die. If I try to keep him here at home, if I keep doing what I'm doing now, I cannot protect him. And, and what a great lesson for us as parents. There comes a time when if you keep doing what you've been doing with your child, your child's only going to get worse. It might feel better to you to know that well, he's at home and he's in his bassinet. And, and, and I would never dream of putting him in a river and whoever heard of such a thing and that would be cruel and that would be mean and I could never bring myself to do it. But thank God, you'll keep it by the power of God was able to overcome those emotional toxins and she obeyed God, trusted the Lord, put Moses in the little basket. Think about one more, Mary. They lost Jesus. He's in the temple. They are a full day's journey away. And she looks at Joseph and says, guess who's not in his car seat? <laughs> Joseph says, I thought you got it. Now that's not in scripture. But I guarantee you that's what he said. She says, no, you said you were, I said, I, said, I, I was, uh, it's, it's Joseph. They go back and they find him. I love what Dr. Vance Havner says about that story. He says, a lot of people lose Jesus at church. He said, you get involved in doing things, teaching classes, mopping floors, washing windows, running committees doing this, that, and the other. And the next thing you know, you forget why you're there. You forget what you're doing it for. And you start getting aggravated because nobody else showed up to help you. There was a whole team supposed to be here. And where's, what's his name this morning? I saw him with golf clubs headed out this morning. I know where that sorry worthless rascal is going. 
Next thing you know, you get bitter. You forget who you're doing it for. You lose Jesus right there in church. Well, he was missing. But I can tell you at his trial and his crucifixion, he wasn't missing. And neither was she. Can't imagine what that woman felt. Cannot imagine. Well, let's take a look at this woman. A godly mother who knew we would be looking at a Canaanite, Syro-Phoenician, unnamed, unclean, as far as the Jews were concerned, individual teaching us about godly motherhood. First of all, she teaches us godly mothers are passionate. Godly mothers are passionate. And a Canaanite woman said in verse 22, From that region came out and began to cry out, saying, have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. You hurt when your children hurt. When they're sick, you don't feel any better. Whatever it is that they're going through, you want to go through it with them. You want to take it away from them. And if you could just, just do that. I, I, I was so glad here while back a couple, several years ago, I guess now, uh, to, to read somebody who put it into words. It was uh, one of the Christian authors. I don't remember the book. Couldn't in a million years. But they talked about when your children, you are, are especially when they're younger and they're a little more helpless and you feel like they're really dependent on you, you, you can look at them sometimes and you just, you just hurt. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with them. They're lying. They're asleep. I remember when Chase was born, he was a little bitty fellow and, and he... He'd be in the bed sound asleep, and I'd have to go get a little bit of sugar. And I, I wasn't real good at sneaking around because if he woke up, then I'd have to play with him, you know? And then when I got done, I handed him to mama and said, Here, put him back to sleep. That didn't go over real well. But I can tell you, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help uh, a, a few weeks ago, or about a week ago, I came across a picture on my uh, laptop of little Alex when he was really young and I guess he was probably in about the first grade and I remember that smile he was making it was one of those you had to fabricate it's like I could tell somebody told him to smile and he kind of did one of them sort of I'm trying really hard I almost started crying I was like man I just want to go pick him up and hold him and he's doing fine I mean you know he's, he's here today he, he's nothing wrong I, I love them so much that I hurt even when they're doing well it just you, you love them till it hurts and that's what a mother feels like and I've never been a mother of course but I've been a daddy and I'm just telling you I can understand this woman crying out to Jesus saying look I don't care if these disciples think I have some kind of problem with looking like a fool then they can get another thought because I am my daughter's dying my daughter is done. I, I think about the leader of the synagogue who went and got Jesus one time and said, my daughter is sick and my daughter is dying and I believe that you can heal her. And, and I'm sure he probably lost his job and I'm sure he was highly criticized. The leader of the synagogue went and got our enemy, Jesus, that guy that's taking all the attention away from our religion and, and disgracing our laws and commandments. And you went and talked to him about your daughter. Well, she wasn't getting well any other way. I finally had to do something desperate. I had to go to somebody that could heal her. 
I had to go to somebody that could change her life. He went to Jesus. They're passionate. Secondly, a godly mother. They're courageous. Verse 22, this was a Canaanite woman. It said, I've already told you the only two times we know of it, Jesus told somebody they had great faith and both of them were Gentiles. And man, I'll tell you, she had to overcome a lot to, to, to even be where she was. She's crying out things like, David, are you a son of David? That was a very politically charged term. And it was not something that you said a lot. As a matter of fact, when Jesus healed the blind men, they began to cry out all of that. And he pulled them into the house. He said, I want to heal you, but I want you to knock off the Son of David stuff, okay? Because I am about to turn the world upside down, but I'm not ready to hit the trigger yet. That's, that's a paraphrase, by the way. You just hang on to that. Man, this woman here didn't know any better. She's crying out all kinds of stuff. She is, man, reaching out to God. But everything she's had, she's not part of the kingdom of David. Nowhere near it. She's about to be. But she doesn't. She, it, it, she is totally out of her lane when she does this. Well, I want to tell you something. I know we talk a lot about critical race theory here. We have lately in the men's study group and all of that. But I hope I never come off as diminishing the problem with racism because we do have it. I don't believe America is a racist country as a whole, and I don't believe in systemic racism, but I also am not a big enough fool to think that racism is gone. We have plenty of it. We have way too much of it. And when I think about the church, do you realize we had the two great awakenings in, here on American soil? And slavery survived both of them. Revival. People getting right with God. People, uh, uh, boy, revival crossing the land. Uh, people get, get in, getting right with the Lord and all of that. And, and the next thing you know, we still have slavery just as much as we ever did. Which tells me the same problems we're facing today with racism and all of these other things. It is not going to be some knockoff version of Marxism that's going to bring about change, friend. It's going to take Jesus Christ changing the hearts of men. That's the only thing that's going to fix it. Well, they're passionate. They're courageous. Godly mothers are also persistent. In verse 23, says, He did not answer her a word. And His disciples came and kept imploring Him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. The woman will not shut up. Now Jesus has got a plan working here. But as far as this woman is concerned, she's cried out to Jesus and Jesus is not saying anything. He is as quiet as as he can be. But one of the things that I have learned, and I don't mean to just say an empty cliche, but I really have learned that it's true. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not listening. As a matter of fact, there have been times, and I bet it's been that way in your life, that had he answered my prayer immediately and given me what I thought I needed when I first started praying about that, life would have gone all wrong. I would have missed a great blessing. There was something that God wanted to do that I didn't have any idea about. And He loved me enough to withhold His hand. He loved me enough to be quiet. He loved me enough to let me keep begging until the time was right. And then God stepped in. 
and made it. Wow. Wolfgang Armadeus Mozart. I know a lot of you have his CDs in your car. People even have CDs anymore. You're lucky I didn't say cassette <laughs> or eight track. There you go. He's a great composer. He said one time that it's not the music that is beautiful. He said it is the rest, plural, the silent spaces between the notes that are beautiful. Think about that. Having the right amount of silent space between the notes, man, that makes all the difference in the world. That's the difference in me and Jeff Dollar. I know there are others. Uh, the main one being he has hair. <laughs> I know what you were thinking. Another one is he can play drums and I can. We both love to play drums. I, I like doing it. He caught me in here one night and I was just frailing away at him. He's got it, he got it on the video. As a matter of fact, I could play him a little. And one of these days we're hoping if I can get my arm and my hand working because I'm kind of limited on what instruments I can play. I'm you gonna we're gonna open up a service one day and I'm gonna be sitting right there and I am gonna let her roll, buddy. <laughs> but I'll promise you my timing won't be what his is because my space between the notes, Mozart would tell me they're a little varied. That means you don't have a lick of time. <laughs> this makes a beautiful time. Sometimes it's when God seems silent. The disciples are saying, send her away and all of that. Man, I'm just telling you, it, it, it's, it's what Christianity is. It's for people in real life. It gets ugly sometimes. It'll put you in places you don't want to be. And it'll make you deal with people with whom you don't want to deal. And it'll send you places you might not want to go. And you'll be confronted with issues that you will not like. And one of the hardest things for people going into ministry is, is when they figure that out. It ends more ministries before they hardly get off the ground than anything else. Because when you go into ministry, you realize that, wow, there is just no way in the world I can avoid things I don't like. God will take you to places. He went to the cross. You go to the cross. And then if you don't take up your cross and, and die first, I can tell you, ministry will kill you itself before very long. You have to die to self. But godly mothers are alright with that because they're passionate, they're courageous, they're persistent. Number four, they're honest. She says, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Notice she didn't say, my, my, my daughter got in the wrong crowd. That's almost not true every time somebody says it. I don't want to say always. It's almost always not true. There was something maybe on the inside of your child you couldn't see. That was on the outside of your neighbor's child that you could see. Maybe your child hid it better. But there was something in your child that attracted you to what was in that child. That's how your child got with the wrong group. 
And most of the time, the mothers of all those other teenagers, they're telling people their child got with the wrong crowd. And your child was part of that. I can tell you, I know we try all kinds of coping mechanisms to deal with disappointment in our children because nothing will hurt you worse. But she was just honest. She says, no, Jesus, my daughter's demon-possessed. My daughter's demon-possessed. The devil has got a hold of her. I, I don't even recognize her anymore. It's like she's not even in control of her life. She was the sweetest child. I wish you could have seen her. Boy, just every guy. She went to BBS. She did all the things that, that kids do. She was did so good in school and everything was going well. And I don't know what happened. It was like all of a sudden it just she just wasn't herself anymore. And and, and I don't even know how to relate to her anymore. It's it's, it's like a wild beast. I, I can't contain her. And and the demons have taken over her life and, 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 and it's just ruining her. Sometimes I hear parents say my child was just so easily led. That might not be true either because you couldn't lead him. You couldn't lead him. Nobody in this, on this planet this side of glory is ever going to love your child like you do and he wouldn't listen to you. Probably listening to who he wants to listen to because they're saying the things he wants to hear. I'm not saying that to grind in the pain in your heart, friend. I'm just telling you that godly mothers are honest. I've seen a lot of kids that, boy, God turned their life around. God turned their life around. And a lot of times, though, it didn't happen until the parents finally said, yeah, we need to pray for my child. My child has a problem. It's called sin. And he's decided to embrace it. And I know it's his decision. But he's got a problem. And he needs to be saved. He doesn't need to get in church. He doesn't, he, he doesn't need to, to, for somebody to, to, to just show him love. We've done that. He doesn't need for the church to cater to him either, by the way, because maybe the parents, excuse me, have already figured out that, well, it wasn't the church's fault. He said it was, but that's only because that he's heard everybody else blame everything on the church. It's an excuse. The church taught him that. He needs to suck it up and take responsibility for his own life. But he's never going to do it until God changes his heart and life. God, please touch my child. demon possessed he's an addict God he's an alcoholic he's throwing his life away godly mothers passionate, courageous, persistent, honest they're also humble you might have missed this you might have missed this part it says and he said it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs He's really talking more to his disciples than he has heard because that was the word they used for Canaanites. You, you call them dogs. My mission that I came for was to the Jews. You guys call them dogs. Okay? So why don't you uh, understand why I'm ignoring her? You don't want me to throw the bread to the, to the dogs, do you guys? See, they're the ones... <laughs> 
They're the ones getting the lesson. He's about to do something awesome for her, but they had called her, they called Canaanites dogs. That was the pejorative term for them. And yeah, there's a couple of words for dog uh, in, in the Greek. And yes, this word here, maybe you've already, you already saw it. You was about to stand up and raise your hand. I got it. This one was more for the dogs that made pets. This wasn't the wild, vicious dogs that ran the hills. But I can tell you back then, they still didn't have dogs with $80 haircuts and $40 uh, collars that, that jingle when, when Poochie jumps on the bed. They just didn't have that. He said, this is a dog according to you guys. And you know what she said? She says, yes, Lord, I am a dog. That was her response. Now, her response is, don't you call him by a dog. I would never say anything like that. Well, Jesus did. But he, had, he was going somewhere with it. She says, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I am a dog. She didn't say, boy, you'll be here for my lawyer. She said, yeah, I am that. Even if the disciples, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but even if the disciples, are, or they got their own problems and they're so full of racism and all of that that they can't see straight. Yeah, I got all of that, but God, as far as you are concerned, I am nothing more than a dog. Because I am a lost, helpless, nobody without you. And being a Canaanite, I'm even more helpless than most because your disciples are not about to tell me one bit of good news because they hate me. But Jesus didn't. She was passionate, courageous, persistent. She was honest. She was humble. And then last of all, godly mothers worship. Worship God. But she came and began to bow down. She came and began to bow down before him. Proskuneo is the word. It is the word we translate for worship. Pros is toward. And let me finish the verse. She began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Bow down is proskuneo. It means toward. Kaneo is a word that means to kiss. Toward. And I'm going to give you the word picture here for this term in the Greek. You know when your dog walks up to you if they're tall enough. Now these most short fellas got to have some help. <laughs> Mine doesn't need any help. He'll walk up to me, stick his head under my hand, and begin to lick my hand. And I mean, he just will slop it, okay? <laughs> That's the word picture. To worship God. To kiss to work. Every night. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> Every night. I lay down in my bed. Yes, his name is not Fufu. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day in Lowe's, <laughs> was he a service dog? I had, you know, 
from artificial hand on a dog. I started to just jump up and down. I'll burn this place to the ground. You don't, you don't dare assume I need a service dog. I said, no, he's not a service dog. I said, oh, he's so pretty. Can I pet him? I said, sure. And he just looks. Now, he don't ever seem to smile. But he just looked at him, and they put their hand on his head, and they petted him. They said, will he let me pet him? I said, oh, yeah. I said, he just won't let you pet me. I said, I promise you we'll have an issue if you do that. Every night I go to bed, he's got a ritual. He bails up in the middle of my bed. Yeah. And he gets on my face, and if it wasn't for my beard, he would blister me. It's a solid five minutes. And it's just flop, flop, flop. And if you open your mouth to tell him, Stop it gets worse. He'll go French on you. <laughs> and then when he's done with me, he'll go over to Loretta's side and give her one lick. And then you off the bed. You think I'm getting rid of that dog? In his little mind, with no more intelligence than God gave him, I'm his master. This whole world revolves around me. That's called worship, friend. When we just slobber on God. We just love Him. He has no dignity. I promise you that. If a hundred people walked in the room, He wouldn't stop. He doesn't care what the people... If there was another hundred dogs in the room that weren't kissing me, that wouldn't bother him a bit in the world because he's not there to do what everybody else is doing. You ever had a case of that in church? You want to stand up and raise your hand? I'm just not sure what I'd have felt like. I mean, the people over there, they would say amen. I wanted to a couple of times. I'll tell you that, preacher. I hate it when you tell me that afterwards. I'm like, well, I needed it out there. Do you not hear that sermon? It was dying on me. I needed that. Well, you know, I just didn't want to. You know, I just know how they are. He don't care how they are because he is worshiping. And when we just get to the place in our lives where we're ready to worship God, we don't care what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter if it's not about them. Godly mothers worship God. And she did this all before he ever answered her prayer. He had not healed her daughter yet. It would not be until she had already acknowledged who he was but she had already pronounced that you are Lord and that you are the Messiah, the one sent from the lineage of David. And whether you do anything for me or not, that's not going to change. I'm, I'm going to declare that right now, right here in the middle of this hellhole called Canaan. I'm going to cry that to the top of my lungs. Jesus looked at her and said, Woman, you have great faith. Heal her daughter. The only distant healing I believe we have in the Gospels. Sometimes Jesus touched. Sometimes he might wave his hand or whatever. He was pretty keen on spit. Did you know that? Well, he took that and rubbed some dirt together and made mud and shoved it in a blind guy's eyes. I know you've heard me say this before, but. I've always thought spit and dirt would be the coolest name 
for, for a Christian uh, gospel preacher. God uses us to open the eyes of the blind. I'm spitting, he's dirt. One time he spit on his fingers and stuck them in a guy's ears. Spoke the word in Aramaic to be open. And that man could hear. I could use a little of that. I'm just saying to you, this woman here teaches us a lot about God and others. Teaches us a lot about godly people. Mothers, I want to tell you we love you. Also want to say this. I'm married. always call her mama. The kids call her mama. After our first child was born. And what a blessing they've been. I remember when Loretta looked at me early on and said she didn't think she wanted children. I said, well, what are we going to do with the two we got? Sometimes when we want you to speak, you don't. But God, this story with all its complications reminds us of what life is like. It's full of complications as well. I thank you, Father, for teaching us today. For loving us enough. And I pray, God, that you would just help us, Lord, in our worship. I pray, God, you would help us, Lord, to realize and know that that was why you created us, God. And I pray that you would help us, especially as a church, to lose those inhibitions, God, about how we worship you and just come together and worship you. Thank you for that, Father. I pray, God, today for those parents, Lord, that They've already said it. Lord, they, they don't make excuses. 
they've already cried out to you hundreds of times. God help my child. He or she. He's just I hardly recognize him. She's not the little girl that I once knew. Something's gone wrong. And it's not the world's fault, God. She needs you to touch her. He needs you to work a miracle in his life, God, to get a hold of his heart. I pray for those parents. I know their heart breaks. I ask you to please be with them and help them. And we pray for that child. God, we pray that we would not relent. We pray, God, you help us to know that for a while you were silent in this story. And maybe you're still being silent, Lord, to those parents right now. But don't let them give up. Don't let them quit, God. I pray, Father, that they would realize in them that you, Lord, can work miracles. And sometimes after you are the most silent, we hear the sweetest music ever. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.